This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Later this month, on the 25th to be exact, that would be a Sunday, if all goes well, NASA's Phoenix Mars lander will land somewhere near the pole of the red planet and begin a search for life. We plan to make the trek down to Pasadena for you, dear listener, to cover this event and pray that things will turn out better than they did back in 1999 when... Uh, the Mars Polar Lander crashed due to a software glitch, hitting the surface at about 50 miles an hour instead of making a soft landing. We presume that the Phoenix Mars Lander will do better. While milling about the crowd at the, uh, the convention center in Pasadena back in 1999, uh, this correspondent was informed well ahead of the rest of the public that the lander was kaput. We'll probably talk about this on next week's program when we interview Simon LaVey, the author of When Science Goes Wrong, 12 Tales from the Dark Side of Discovery. Mr. LaVey's mentioned in his writings how, how NASA and JPL covered back in 1999 from what they knew really was a failed mission. You probably remember that back in 1999. It took about three days for them to finally admit, oh, well, it looks like we maybe we're not going to hear from the spacecraft. By that time, it was no longer front-page news. Anyway, as we say, we presume things will do better this time. And as a prelude to this event, we're going to talk to our good friend Bruce Betts of the Planetary Society. The Planetary Society will be hosting yet another Planet Fest uh, on Sunday the 25th. We'll be there, and I promise you we're going to have an interesting report. So by all means, stay tuned for Dr. Bruce Betts in our second segment today. But let us begin the program as, as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is the 15th of May. It was on May 15th in 1856 when law enforcement agencies found themselves unable to keep order in the lawless gold rush boomtown of San Francisco. A group of angered residents form a second vigilante committee to combat robberies and other crimes. Some offenders were summarily hanged. Others were escorted out of town. Vigilante justice, of course, is, uh, as a rule, a very bad idea. Although, as a minor aside, I was struck by the fact that, uh, that upon a visit to Cuba many years back, the security guards, wherever I was, and I can't I remember exactly where it was, the security guards were referred to as vigilantes. And for the record, they did look somewhat more vigilant than many of the security guards we have here at home. Unfortunately, in the context of Fidel Castro's Cuba, that itself is not necessarily a good thing. On this date in 1941, American baseball player Joe DiMaggio began his memorable Major League hitting streak, which would last 56 games. One year later, gasoline rationing went into effect in 17 U.S. states as an economy measure during World War II. Gas sales were limited to three gallons per week for non-essential vehicles. On this date in 1948, just hours after de declaring independence from Great Britain, the new state of Israel was attacked by Jordan, Syria, Egypt, Iraq, and Lebanon. On this date in 1972, Democratic Party front-runner 
Alabama Governor George Wallace was shot by 21-year-old Arthur H. Bremer during the U.S. presidential campaign. Wallace was permanently paralyzed from the waist down, but continued to campaign from his hospital room and wheelchair. It is interesting, it's interesting to recall that back in 1972, Wallace, at this point, was the Democratic Party frontrunner. Everybody just kept saying that there's no way the nomination's going to go to Wallace, and indeed it did not, but in a way that nobody quite anticipated. And it was on May 15th in 1988 that Soviet troops began their withdrawal from Afghanistan, eight years after their intervention in that country. The attempt to build up the communist Afghanistan government cost the Soviets dearly with an estimated 15,000 troops dead and an enormous bite on the Soviet treasury. Something that only came out uh, rather recently about uh, the Soviet misadventure in Afghanistan was that U.S. covert operations attempted to induce that Soviet invasion and were eminently successful in doing so. As President Jimmy Carter's security advisor Zbigniew Brzezinski told uh, the French press uh, a few years back, well, this is a very successful operation that they induced, asking rhetorically, what was more important, the fall of the USSR or creating a few angry Muslims? And, of course, among those angry Muslims was a fellow known as Osama bin Laden. And unfortunately, 20 years after this, the uh, Soviets uh, began uh, their troop withdrawal. Things are still a mess in Afghanistan. All right, our quote of the day comes from uh, Senator Hillary Clinton, who, in response to her being criticized for her petroleum tax holiday plan, said, quote, I'm not going to put my lot in with economists, unquote. Yeah, e economists, schmeconomists, that's what we say. Go with your gut. That's served President Bush real well. Our quip of the day comes from Edward W. Howe, who said, A thief believes everybody steals. Our poll data of the week is the fact that the price of gas has become a serious problem for 44% of Americans, which puts it far ahead of the second place economic concern of getting a good paying job or raise, 29% which nudged out the third-place concern of paying for health insurance, which came in at 28%. This is according to a Kaiser Family Foundation poll. Personally, we think $4 a gallon may be just the kind of wake-up call this country needs on many fronts. Our joke of the day comes from Jeff Foxworthy, who said, Today, I can't drive without my daughter being stuck in a special car seat strapped in. Why... We sent John Glenn into space with a Jethro Bodine seatbelt. Yes, and in case you're too young to remember, one of the most wretched television programs in history was the Beverly Hillbillies. Y'all come back now, here. Featuring Max Bear Jr. as Jethro Bodine. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week this week for America's penal system when it was announced that uh, a 400-pound black bear 
has moved into the courtyard of the state penitentiary in Louisiana. Said Warden Burl Kane, it's like having another guard at no cost to the taxpayer. It was, on the other hand, a bad week a couple weeks back for Homeland Security after the Federal Air Marshal Service unveiled a new plan to prevent a recurring problem. That is to say, marshals being refused a seat on flights because their names appear on the terrorist no-fly list. In the future, the agency said, marshals who aren't allowed to board, quote, should ask to speak to an air carrier custom service representative, unquote. And no, folks, I'm not making any of this up. Apparently, our air marshals are on the terrorist no-fly list, and the solution's going to be that when they refuse a seat, they're supposed to take one of the air carrier custom service reps aside and, and, and talk to them. By the way, Democrats may want to use this as a campaign slogan in November. Do you feel safer today than you did eight years ago? And uh, it was an ugly week this week for aliases after a Wisconsin man gave a fake name after police pulled over a car in which he was a passenger. The man was forced to admit his lie because he had coincidentally chosen the name of a wanted murderer. The man, who was reportedly afraid he would get arrested for some unpaid traffic fines, was charged with obstruction. And from the Only in America file, courtesy of the Week magazine, we have the following. California State Assembly has passed the so-called Paris Hilton Bill, banning motorists from driving with dogs in their laps. Despite opposition from libertarians who say the state has no right to regulate who could sit on whose lap, the Assembly voted 44 to 11 to send the bill to the state Senate. Violators would be fined up to $150. Said Assemblyman Dave Jones, anyone with common sense has to know they shouldn't be driving with an animal on their lap. But if there's some people who think it's acceptable, I suppose the bill will send a clear signal. By odd coincidence, this correspondent informed Assemblyman Jones, who works out in my gym, about his appearance in The Week magazine. And I had to admit I agreed with him. If some people think that you should be allowed to drive with a dog in your lap, well... Maybe they need to be sent a legislative message. All right, let's go to some email. We want to thank Millie for sending this article from uh, the New York Times, noting uh, just how many times these uh, so-called uh, outside experts uh, commented on what's going on in military matters in the Middle East. And by the way, we're happy to report uh, that this article by investigative reporter David Barstow uh, appeared or was quoted more than 4,500 times on broadcast nets cables, and NPR, etc. We'd say that's 4,501, counting radio parallax. But in the wake of the article, uh, Media Matters set out to tabulate the number of appearances on these various news media outlets. They noted that uh, military analyst David L. Grange, who appeared on CNN and CNN Headline News, made 921 media appearances to comment on what's going on militarily. David W. Shepard on CNN uh, appeared 713 times. Barry McCaffrey, formerly America's drug czar, by the way, who appeared on NBC, MSNBC, and CNBC, made 642 appearances. So th there's three clowns with a vested interest making, what, 2,200 appearances between them on the media as so-called dispassionate experts? As a part of damage control for this, the Pentagon has evidently suspended this program in which it used 
or at least they're alleging they've suspended a program in which it used military uh, uh, media analysts to portray the Iraq war in rosy terms. Robert Hastings, the Pentagon's top public affairs official, said he's concerned that defense's relationship with the analysts may be improper and that the information program would be halted indefinitely pending a review. We'll take the time to do it right, he said. And we would still like to refer you to David Barstow's article about how it is the Defense Department supplied retired officers with pro-war talking points which they didn't disclose. Instead, they led TV viewers to believe that their analysis of the war was objective and based on observations and reports from former colleagues. And, of course, as the heat turns on in Northern California, as it's going to do this uh, coming week, uh, wildfire season has commenced. We're going to be talking to someone who went down to Southern California to fight the fires last fall. That would be Cal Fire Captain Brent Stangland. That will either be on next week's show or the week after. And uh, this story about how much the Iraqi war is costing us uh, is continuing to uh, reverberate a bit, as it should. As we mark the fifth anniversary this week of George Bush flying onto an aircraft carrier with a banner proclaiming mission accomplished, uh, that uh, the spending on the Iraq war is up from $4 billion a month, which it was five years ago, to $12 billion a month, which it is now. Here's the most, uh, the most astounding part about this. Iraq is already the second most expensive war in U.S. history. Only World War II cost more. Noted Harvard researcher Linda Bilmes and a Nobel Prize winning economist Joseph Stiglitz in their book, The Three Trillion Dollar War, authors we're going to try and get on this program, the money spent on the war could have fixed Social Security for 75 years or provided health insurance to all American children. Think about that. As usual, the right-wingers in this country are blaming the victim, noting that with oil nearing $120 a barrel, the Iraqi government is looking at a $70 billion windfall in oil revenues this year, twice what it expected when it drew up its budget for 2008. But instead of financing reconstruction, uh, the, the money is going unspent prompting some in Congress to uh, propose cutting off further funding for reconstruction and looking into ways to prod the Iraqi government into shouldering more of the load. Here's the part I find interesting. Of, uh, I don't know if you knew this. I certainly didn't. When the U.S. renovated Iraqi's oil pipelines, it failed to install meters to monitor the flow of oil. This has led to widespread corruption as the oil is being diverted and sold uh, on the black market. We're sure getting our money's worth by our privatization efforts over there in the war, aren't we? Let's talk a little bit about, uh, about Burma. The Burmese government's been roundly criticized for uh, failing to warn its populace about the upcoming uh, hurricane, which they're also calling a cyclone, with the same phenomenon, different ocean. I was kind of startled to be reading Amy Tan's Saving Fish from Drowning, which is set in Burma, in which she noted having written this before the disaster, that uh, the Burmese government official news agencies were not allowed to disseminate bad weather news. And even having been to Burma, I would have thought that's, you know, that's, that's just one step too far. I would have doubted that, having read that in a work of fiction. But, uh, you know, as they say, truth is stranger than fiction. That apparently was accurately reported. And, of course, this legendarily incompetent military junta, which runs the country and, you know, invalidates elections and basically controls the whole economy. 
is having a hard time deciding whether it's going to allow relief agencies to bring food and equipment where it is needed. And it appears that aid materiel is being diverted, uh, possibly for resale again on the black market. It was quite curious for me to travel down to San Rafael uh, last week to hear Amy Tan interviewed by Michael Krasny and reflect on the fact that uh, 20 years ago I spent five days in Burma and found it to be among the, well, surely the top five most curious places I've ever visited. And as far as I'm concerned, it remains Burma, not Myanmar, which was the renamed job uh, slapped upon it by the same incompetent military junta, which is denying aid to its people. The death toll in the country is now estimated at about 130,000 and climbing, and about a million people are homeless right now. One hopes this will be the beginning of the end for a very bad uh, ruling clique and, and you know, the beginning of some hope for the Burmese people. Whom, if I had to pick, I, I might say were, you know, possibly the nicest people I've ever met. We'll continue to uh, follow events in Burma. We'd like to also refer you to the current edition of Vanity Fair. Article on Bobby Kennedy titled The Hope, The Tragedy, and Why He Still Matters by Thurston Clark. It's a rather poignant and fascinating article. It had a couple things in it that really uh, woke me up. One was the mention of a Kennedy campaign aide named Herb Schmertz, who would later become known for the mobile oil essays which he placed in advertisements on the New York Times op-ed pages. Seems like an odd guy to be a Kennedy uh, staffer. The article noted that unlike most Kennedy staffers, Schmertz believed in the Vietnam War and still does to this day. When asked why he worked for Kennedy, he offers breezy explanations like, campaigns attract the most beautiful women, and, you know... You don't necessarily have to agree with your candidate on everything. Before giving what was described as the real honorary Kennedy reason. Ah well, the things you do for your friends. We've speculated on the show in the past about the possibility that uh, the Republicans may have uh, placed their people in various high positions in the Democratic Party. And I tell you, reading that really rekindles my suspicions. The fact that you still see uh, a Susan Estridge touted as a political pundit out there, she, the woman who ran Michael Dukakis's 1988 presidential campaign, you know, I, I, if there's ever a potential candidate for somebody who took a dive, I think it's Miss Estridge. And more chillingly, the article notes how when Kennedy went out to Kansas to see if he could get his campaign started and did very well, columnist Jimmy Breslin asked a table of reporters covering the event, do you think this guy has the stuff to go all the way? Which prompted the following response from John J. Lindsay of Newsweek. Yes, of course he has the stuff to go all the way, Lindsay replied. But he's not going to go all the way. The reason is that somebody's going to shoot him. I know it, and you know it. Just as sure as we're sitting here, somebody's going to shoot him. He's out there now waiting for him. And please God, I don't think we'll have a country after that. Noted the article, there was a stunned silence. Then one by one, the other reporters agreed. But none asked the most heartbreaking question. Did Kennedy himself know it? And a year ago, we, we spoke with uh, David Talbot, the founder of Salon.com, about his book Brothers, uh, detailing uh, events in the lives of JFK and RFK. And it seemed pretty clear from talking to David Talbot that indications are that, uh, that if Kennedy didn't know it, he certainly had his suspicions. 
We haven't seen the course of American politics changed by a gun in quite some time, but uh, I worry about what will happen if Barack Obama gets close to the nomination. And one of the most curious aspects about campaign 2008 is who is going to be the vice presidential candidates? This is especially important in the case of John McCain, who, after all, is the oldest man ever to run for president. This might be a good time to quote from the current edition of Mental Floss magazine about 10 U.S. vice presidents, but uh, we're out of time for this segment, so let's defer that, take a break, and come back and speak with Dr. Bruce Betts of the Planetary Society about uh, the fine efforts of that organization, particularly in regard to what's about to happen with uh, the landing on Mars. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Stay tuned. <laughs> 